Hey everyone, Marilyn Hughes of the Out of Body Travel Foundation. I apologize, having some technical difficulties here. It crashed that live stream. So we are in part two of two of this uh, live stream. Uh, so hoping it will be more stable this time. We were talking about what constitutes heaven. Um, so I'm hoping everyone who was in here can come on back in. And I apologize for these technical difficulties. So um, we had just concluded that question. I hope that it recorded what we were talking about. Um, if not, we can come back to it. I hope everyone comes back in and we can verify whether or not that was covered. The next question was, how about purgatorial realms like Earth? that is between dimension four positive and dimension three negative. Hello, John, thank you for joining me. Um, we are doing part two of two of our live stream, hoping that the others who were in will come on back in and be able to tell me if we were able to get the uh, tail end of what constitutes heaven uh, covered or if the, uh, if the recording, you know, crashed before all of that was uh, uh, covered. So Adriana, you are back. So there you are. I'm so glad you're here. And I'm hoping you can let me know if we were able to get to the end of what we were talking about with what constitutes heaven, because I'm not sure where that feed crashed. And welcome, MT, as well. So Yes, they did. They YouTube crashed real bad, says Adriana. Yes, that was a major crash. I'm hoping everyone who was in there will be able to find their way back in. And I'm just starting from where I think we left off. But Adriana, please feel free to uh, correct me if I did not, you know, if anything that I thought I answered um, actually got cut off from where it crashed, because I'm not sure when it did crash. So we're talking now about the next part of this question is, how about purgatorial realms like Earth? That's between dimension four positive and dimension three negative. Is Earth part of heaven? Are we residing outside of heaven right now? It's a great question. Ironically, no, Earth is a purgatorial realm. Earth is in realms three and four, which are the mortal realms, the purgatorial spheres. And what that means is we are in the realms of purification. And so the purgatorial realms are not part of heaven, but they are the areas where souls go to become prepared to become purified and holy enough to enter into the higher light spheres of the heavens. And we had talked about what constitutes the heavens and how the extraterrestrials actually are in those heavens in the previous uh, live stream. And so continuing, I assume lower realms are not part of the heavens, but even those realms were created by God for a purpose. Absolutely. It's the same thing. You know, we are uh, purifying, ironically, dark and evil 
elements. And those things absolutely have to undergo purification. And many of us have been in those types of states before we came to the states we are here in the purgatorial realms. So we were uh, very often worse than we are now <laughs> before we came to this state. There is a progression for most souls. And so, yes, we move from these lower states of evil and this desire to harm others, this desire for our own powerfulness, our own well-being. It goes from, ironically, what Jesus told me in my near-death experience, because the goal of our earthly existence, which is the purgatorial existence is to go from selfishness to selflessness. So that's the goal of the mortal realms. That means we are trying to become selfless. That is where we need to get to in order to enter into the heavenly spheres. And that is what we are trying to achieve here. When we were in those lower spheres that are the realms one and two, we were actually very predatorial. And that is what we would have been working through there. And the souls who are in those spheres are in a much more serious level of darkness than what we even see here in the mortal realms and on earth. Um, uh, and, and this person says, I will catch you on the next live. I'm going to start reading your Galactica. It's probably going to answer these questions I have. I've been busy, but I will. Thank you, Marilyn. Have a good afternoon. And yes, Galactica will cover some of these things. So you're going to have to find some very fun things in there. So thank you for that question. Um, and then we are moving into, I'm going to, move into the next question. I'm going to bring this one back in a little bit here. So this question goes like this. Hi, Marilyn. I just requested to join your Facebook group. Until I hear that I have been accepted, I was wondering if you could answer a question. Is there some sound vibration that I can either download or purchase or recreate that can help separation from the body. I just finished Bullman's 1993 book and I am very intrigued and interested. I just started to try some of his suggestions, but I was hoping to gather any helpful resources in case I have difficulty with this critical first phase of the experience. I am not trying to manifest difficulties but based on my history, I simply want to gather any available resources as extra help and a backup plan to give OBE the best possible chances. After several decades of varying degrees of effort at all of my spiritual practices, I feel I was not that good at shamanism and I don't feel much when I do the flower of life meditation. And when people ask if I feel the energy of a crystal, I never do. Thanks. So I said, hello, let me know if you get into the forum. My best advice is going to be that you should start by reading Come to Wisdom's Door and the Mysteries of the Redemption, which you can download for free 
at my website. Hello, Andy. Welcome to the live stream. Uh, come to Wisdom's Door will get you in the right frame of mind for out-of-body travel, as well as take you through all the steps and things you need to do before you start practicing. I also have a small devotional that helps you to simplify the things in Come to Wisdom's Door for daily remembrance as you practice. And that's called Astral Projection Made Easy. Also available for free download. The Mysteries of the Redemption helps open people up to spontaneous experience. And it's the most effective means I can recommend to you to encourage out-of-body experiences. But as to your specific requests, here are some suggestions. And I recommend this to anyone looking for the same thing. I do have a download called The Frequency of Otara, The Call of the Angels to Out-of-Body Travel. A lot of people have had luck with this. You can purchase the CD or you can listen to the download right here on our YouTube channel or on the website on the music page. Um, I don't know much about what Buhlman offers, but if I were to recommend anything, it might be the Monroe Institute Hemisync Technologies, although I personally haven't had success with it, and I've heard mixed success from others. It has definitely been scientifically researched and utilized by the government, and I'd say it is about 50-50 in terms of people who have shared with me its effectiveness in helping them personally. Along that vein, I definitely recommend The Triad Mind with Mark Serto, who was one of Robert Monroe's closest friends and a sound engineer for the Institute. He has continued his work and he also works closely with the Ascension Chamber here in Phoenix. He has been continuing his research on sound technologies and you can check out what he's been up to at his website at thetriadmind.com. You can also learn about the Ascension Chamber. You can just look that up on YouTube here. Um, I visited there myself. You can check out uh, the video of my visit there on our YouTube channel here. So those are some suggestions for that question. So I hope that's helpful. Okay, and this is a question that I love. So I love this question. So, and it's about the Nag Hammadi text. So now you know why. So it says, hello, Marilyn. Hope your 2022 is going well. Winter is coming and going here like always. And hopefully me and Daphne will be planting our garden in a month or so. Uh, she's going into first grade next year and is turning out to be a real athlete. So this is someone who's been following the Out of Body Travel Foundation for quite a long time, actually. I believe I knew about Daphne when she was an embryo. So that was pretty cool. So uh, this person has been sending me questions for years. So I'm honored by that. Anyhow, I have been studying the Nag Hammadi texts for the last few months and find that they add more understanding of Christian belief in the first few centuries. They also validate some things which I am slowly coming to grasp, particularly the idea that God and the cosmos in general can introduce knowledge into our minds. 
I think the groups that were called Gnostics were onto something, so to speak. As I've told you before, I have an attraction to old locations, structures, and artifacts. They are filled with energies that I sense with my mind and attempt to understand and connect with. For example, every morning I stop into one very old gas station for coffee. My mind can sense these energies and perhaps spirits of employees, customers, and events which have happened there over the decades. I can't see them with my eyes, but I am convinced they are there. I just don't know how I might access them or if this is even a good idea. I think it is interesting how the majority of these old Christian sources, as well as the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the holy lands of Egypt and Palestine within a few years of each other. I'm thinking that God intended for these documents to be found to add new knowledge of him and Jesus in a world that needs it so badly. That is certainly what they are doing for me. <clears throat> Reading these texts also shows me that what we call Christianity is much bigger than anyone can comprehend and cannot be contained in one church or book. Of course, there are things I don't agree with or just don't understand about them. For example, some of these texts describe the creator God as the Demiurge, who is the vengeful God of the Old Testament and not the one true father of all. And of course, the multitude of seemingly contradictory or circular statements by Jesus, such as, quote, to be filled is good and to lack is bad. Yet, since it is also good for you to lack, but bad for you to be filled, whoever is filled also lacks, unquote. We're going to have some fun with that. I suppose more study is needed here. So how do you approach these non-canonical texts? Oh my goodness, we're going to have some fun. Right now, I'm looking at them as new primary sources which illustrate the variety of forms that Christianity took in the first few centuries and insights which could help me to become closer to the Lord and a better Christian in general. It is a real tragedy that the Orthodox authorities worked so hard to get rid of these texts. Christianity seems much bigger with them than without. Do you assign any of them the same importance as the Bible canon? The Gospel of Mary, Gospel of Thomas, and Gospel of Truth have really impressed me so far. Hope your winter and spring are going well. Love ya. Okay, so I'm going to answer the last question first and then go on backwards there. You know, why not, right? So, so, uh, you never assign the same importance to the non-canonical texts as you do to the Bible canon. And the reason for that is because the, you know, the magisterium of the church has gone to a great deal of uh, study, prayer, and um, meditation over the centuries to define the doctrines of the church, the beliefs of the church, and it all started, of course, with the apostolic constitutions, which were in the writings of the early church fathers, which were how the apostles defined what the teachings of the church should be 
And that is how the magisterium of the church determined what the teachings of the church should be, and then determined which books should be included in the New Testament canon to be utilized by the faithful. So the non-canonical texts are not to be considered with the same importance, but they are definitely uh, useful, you know, and they're definitely historically relevant, but they can confuse us too if we're not careful. So, so I uh, had a lot to say about this. Great to hear about Daphne. It seems like yesterday she was just a baby girl. It's not necessary or a good idea to really touch into what's happening at the gas station beyond a cursory appreciation of the history that fills the space. Unless you are prepared to cross souls over or deal with any darkness left behind, don't go there. Let the angels do their job with this. You, would in, you could invite trouble and you don't need to. Most likely you just touch into some nice memories of an old place, but you just never know, so it's unnecessary. So answering his first question, unnecessary. Yes, the Gnostic view of God is the vengeful God of the Old Testament. This is not a view I support, nor does Catholicism or Christianity, which is part of the reason that Gnosticism was rejected by the mainstream. The irony in relation to the saying you shared that it is actually a very Zen saying. So let's go back to that saying, quote, to be filled is good and to lack is bad. Yet, since it is also good for you to lack, but bad for you to be filled, whoever is filled also lacks. <clears throat> In Zen, it might have been worded more like this. Be filled and be empty. For to be filled is hollow and to be empty is overflowing. Neither is good nor evil, evil nor good but simply the nature of things. So be filled and feel it's overflowing. Be hollow and feel it's emptiness, but know their attributes in that in your overflowing, you are not only filled, but also hollow. And in your hollowness, you are not only empty, but overflowing. I went to a lot of effort to rewrite that Gnostic text into a Zen cone. So I'm going to reread those to you. And I want you to listen to them very carefully because there is some very important stuff in both of them. I'm going to read both of them back to you. And I want you to see if you can uh, use your contemplative skills here. So let's start with the Gnostic saying of Jesus. Okay, we're going to start there. I want you to see how what this Zen saying that I've rewritten, and this is me rewriting it as a Zen saying. This is not a real Zen saying, but this is a Zen saying. This is how Zen would rephrase what Jesus is saying in this Gnostic text, because they're saying the same thing. And I want you to try to use your contemplation skills to Try to see that unity in these two ways of saying the same thing. See if you can do that, okay? 
We start with the Gnostic words of Jesus. To be filled is good and to lack is bad. Yet, since it is also good for you to lack, but bad for you to be filled, whoever is filled also lacks. Now also remember, there's always the barrier of translation in these things, okay? Let's go now to my Zen rendering of what Jesus might have been trying to say. But I'm also trying to show you that what Jesus was trying to say could just as easily have been said by a Zen master. Be filled and be empty. For to be filled is hollow and to be empty is overflowing. Neither is good nor evil, evil nor good, but simply the nature of things. So be filled and feel it's overflowing. Be hollow and feel its emptiness. But know their attributes in that in your overflowing, you are not only filled, but also hollow. And in your hollowness, you are not only empty, but overflowing. Okay, now we're going to take it to the next step of that. So in Gnosticism, they will speak more of good and evil because that is more of a Gnostic way of speaking. But in Zen, they will speak more of this and that. But it is the same. So let me say that again. Gnosticism, they will speak more of good and evil, whereas in Zen, they will speak more of this and that. But it is the same. So you could take the same Gnostic statement and change the words good and bad with this and that and make a Zen cone. Let me demonstrate. To be filled is this and to lack is that. Yet, since it is also that for you to lack, but this for you to be filled, whoever is filled also lacks. You can easily find something almost identical to that in Zen texts. If you've ever, ever read any Zen, you can see how easily it translates. However, I would also encourage you not to get caught up in any saying because then you can just kind of stop yourself up. So we're going back to what I was talking about and Adriana will remember this from part one of this live stream. And for those who are watching this part two, I'd like to encourage you to go back and watch part one. I was talking about don't concretize anything. Don't get caught up on the saying because you will stop yourself. You will concretize it. 
However, let me give you my layman's terms for what I think they're trying to say here. <clears throat> so this is what I think Jesus was trying to say in this Gnostic text. He is speaking of the dichotomy of all human experience. Okay, so to be filled is good and to lack is bad. Yet, since it is also good for you to lack, but bad for you to be filled, whoever is filled also lacks. Okay, so that's what he says. Jesus is speaking of the dichotomy of all human experience and expression within the physical realm. To have all the good things in life is a wonderful thing. It is considered a bummer to be poor in this world. But this speaks of more than just physical or material wealth. It speaks of spiritual wealth as well. So it can be noted in both ways, both physical and spiritual. Pay attention here. In the physical, it is considered a wonderful thing to have the goods of this world and not so great to be poor. But for those seeking the spiritual life, physical poverty is considered a good and physical wealth an impediment, therefore a bad. Okay? In a physical sense, anyone who has everything they need will often lack much because in that fulfillment, much of the human experience that leads to true spiritual awakening will not come to them. Therefore, they lack, okay? Let's take it from the spiritual sense. It is a known thing that those who are filled with the things of the spirit are blessed and those who are not do not seem as blessed, right? However, was it not Jesus himself who said, blessed are they who have not seen and yet have believed? So therefore, it can be said that those who lack actually are experiencing a good. But it is more than this in that there is a desert, a dryness of spirit that becomes very fruitful in the spiritual life that most spiritual souls and mystics will go through and must go through in order to bear fruit. And during that period of time, they will feel devoid, empty of God's presence, empty of God's consolation. They will lack, but this lacking is a good. You see? And at this time, it is bad for them to be filled. When at another time, it was good for them to be filled. And it will be good again. Do you see where we're going here? 
So now you can understand how whoever is filled also lacks and whoever lacks is also eventually filled. This or that, that or this, it is all the same. As the great Zen masters would always say. But the Gnostics would say it in a different way. So that was a great, fantastic question. I loved this question. So I thank you for sending this question to me. I love this question so much. So on to the next. As I said from the very beginning, we have a lot of great questions this month. So on to the next. Here we go. Oh, my goodness. Bill, you're back. Great to see you again. He's saying hello to Andy. Hello there, Bill. I'm glad you found your way back. We lost that first part of the live stream, so we're going to have a part one and part two. Um, and I'm sorry we missed the other person who was in that live stream isn't back in yet, but hopefully he'll catch this later. So, all right. So we have another great question here. <coughs> Let me clear myself, my throat here. <clears throat> All right. Hi, Marilyn. It's been a while, but I've been following you on YouTube. Thank you for sharing and all the education on this spiritual path. Most recently, while awake, I heard the question, will you fight for the light? And I kind of offhand said, offhand said yeah, sure. I was doing something else. I was distracted. There was a pregnant pause and I said, oh, yes, of course. <laughs> so last night I was shown a book and began reading it in the spirit, which became morphed into a directed observation slash movie, a narrative about a demon, kind of an incubus. It was a type of invisible humanoidish shape, so to speak. But when viewed, I guess, energetically, blobby postules, tentacles, ew. One of your books, Demonology, I've been leery to read it, but I guess I'm asking, is it time to read it? Are there any precautions I should take before doing so? By the way, I'm currently going through RCIA and unfortunately, I won't be able to receive my sacraments since I'm in an irregular marriage, not married in the church. My husband isn't a practicing Catholic. It will require other criteria to be met, but I still go. Good for you. You go, girl. That's my girl. So we have Andy says, hi, Bill. Hope you are doing well. Bill says, doing great. How are you? Andy says, good, thank you. Awesome. It's great to see all of you. All right, so, <clears throat> so great question. Thanks for reaching out. It might be time, but always be cautious. If you feel leery, just because exorcists always recommend caution around such things, you know, and I've... Um, Speak, spoken to a lot of people and exorcists do uh, caution people about uh, 
reading these kinds of things or having too much involvement in these kinds of things, especially if they have had issues with spiritual warfare or ghosts or especially people who've had exorcisms in the past to uh, stay away from things that have to do with demonology or uh, things of this nature. So definitely recommend caution. However, in this instance, this might be helpful for you. There is a chapter on the incubi and succubi in demonology and overview in it. So it could help you with the question which was placed before you. And so I think that would be fine. The demonology book is not uh, uh, in a great deal of detail. The book will give you an overview of some of the demons and basically their jobs, so to speak. You'll have a rough idea of the things they do, but it doesn't go into too much depth. And awesome on the RCIA. I'm sorry about the sacraments. Um, and, um, you know, uh, just continue to do what you can do to practice your faith in your own way. And don't worry about those details. Not, uh, not something to get caught up in the details on. You go, girl. You just follow your path and do what works for you in your own spiritual life. In terms of the precautions, what I would definitely recommend is praying the rosary, praying the chaplet of the divine mercy. Um, I would definitely have a crucifix either above or near your bed. I would have holy water nearby. And before you go to bed at night, I would probably cross myself with it. Um, I would also probably consider... Uh, you know, doing some specific prayers for your own protection before you go to bed at night. Um, maybe do the St. Michael prayer um, before you go to bed at night um, as a particular protection. You can certainly also uh, just do the Our Father and maybe even a Hail Mary. But even the Our Father, you know, I've written about how the Our Father itself is an exorcism prayer. So these things are definitely... Uh, going to help you. And in terms of, you know, so it sounds like you're being asked to fight for the light. And so uh, reading the book Demonology would be good, but I would also read its counterpart, which is Angelology. And then you'll get a good idea of the hierarchy of the angels and the demons. Uh, it sounds like you're being asked to maybe understand that a little bit. So I would definitely go there and be open to doing that for sure. Um, but then maybe even consider reading uh, in the Mystic Knowledge series, uh, Spiritual Warfare, Angels and Demons, also Ghosts and Lost Souls. These are going to give you an education in spiritual warfare and a lot of things that might really just help you get prepared um, for whatever it is that you're being asked to do. So I would definitely ask you to consider doing those things as well. So definitely those are things I would suggest. So let me put that one over here. I have to keep track of all my little fun things. So I also have um, one of our members sent me uh, in response to our last live stream, um, I uh, 
was speaking about my beautiful mystical experience where I met a bunch of my ancestors and Guru Nanak and Kirpal Singh. So one of our members did send me uh, some quotes that I'm going to go ahead and share from Crown of Life by Kirpal Singh. So I'm going to go ahead and share that. But let me just see here. Bill says, if you get in demonic trouble, get Marilyn Hughes to pray for you. <laughs> yes. But also call out to Jesus. <laughs> call out to Jesus. The only name in heaven on earth that, uh, that uh, the demons shudder by. And also Christ crucified makes the skin of the demons burn. It's like acid to their skin. It's fascinating. You know, some of these things, it's like you can't explain it. You can only just share what you've seen. It's like fascinating how Christ crucified, just those two words, it's like, like they get hit by acid on their skin. They cannot handle it. Um, the first stanza of the Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is an exorcism prayer, which is something I was shown in the mystical. And so here is from The Crown of Life by Kirpal Singh, who is a Sant Matt master, passed away in 1974, and I was given the honor of seeing him a week or so ago. Maybe, I guess, well, I guess it's more than that now, maybe three weeks now, four weeks, because I did it on my last live stream. So it must be three or four weeks now. It seems like yesterday. It was awesome. So he says, <clears throat> the gross or objective meditation consists in meditating on the personal aspect of God, a God-man or a guru, the living master saint. In the subtle meditation, the attention is fixed on the bindu or the single eye, the still point in the body behind and between the two eyebrows. It is the intersection of time and the timeless where the unmanifest becomes manifest. Its reflex is in the pinned or the lower region of the body, i.e. the Gouda chakra where lies the coiled energy in a locked up condition. After some practice at the bindu, the dark spot becomes illuminated and gradually the inner light assumes the radiant form of the master. From here begins what is termed the luminous contemplation. Here we may sound a note of warning to the seekers after truth. We cannot have any appreciable results by meditation on the forms of the past masters who having discharged their divine mission on earth of contacting jivas or souls in their own time are no longer in touch with the physical world. Again, we have to be on our guard in our search for a perfect master for any meditation on the form of an imperfect master will not bear fruit. To avoid all pitfalls, it is much safer to put aside meditation on any form whatsoever. It is better that one should carry on the sadhana according to the instructions given. And if the master is a perfect one, his radiant form will of itself appear within and take charge of the individual soul as soon as it rises above body consciousness. God himself manifests within in the form of a Guru Deva 
provided, of course, that the guru is really embedded in God power. These remarks apply mutatis mutandis. I'm not doing very well with it's mutatis mutandis to meditation on isht divas as is generally done. To meditate on the formless is beyond human conception inasmuch as one cannot conceive of the reality beyond all comprehension. One day, one may in such a case get glimpses of subtle elements which by themselves cannot lead us anywhere. So that's from The Crown of Life by Kirpal Singh. So there we have it. So if anyone has any questions before we start closing this out, please jump on in here. I'm just going to grab some uh, other questions that I have here, but about ready to wrap up. I'd like to make sure you all have uh, your questions answered before I close this out. So please jump in right now. This is the time to do it. <clears throat> um. So here's a question. Do we visit spiritual realms while we sleep and have no memory of this when we awake? Um, yes. Uh, some of us have memory of it and some of us do not. Um, it is very, very uh, much a, a natural part of the human experience to visit these spiritual realms. It's part of actually, you know, just the way our psyche and our spirit is integrated into our physical body. It's, a natural part of the human experience. And so absolutely, yes, we do. And so part of the out-of-body travel adventure and becoming conscious of it is becoming aware that we are literally just becoming consciously aware of something that we are already experiencing rather than, oh, I have to make this happen. It's something I have to uh, become conscious of. So we have Kundalini, a question on Kundalini from Guardian. And Ronald says, way to go, Marilyn. Thank you, Ronald. Thank you very much. And looks like we have a question here. Guardian, feel free to expand on what would you like me to answer about Kundalini? I'd be happy to try. Adriana says, I have been learning about crystals for the first time. I bought and am wearing a chakra bracelet to balance my chakras. Do you have knowledge of crystals that can help out-of-body travels? Yes. Now, I don't wear them, but I have. Oh, John, thank you. We have a super chat. Woohoo! $10. Thank you. He says, thank you for all your share. It, share. it is transformative. Thank you so much. As you know, super chats help us just as memberships help us to keep our resources free for everyone in the world. Now, I always wear, I wear a crucifix. And I wear, I used to wear a really big one, but it kept breaking. I found this one that is made out of one piece of metal because the crucifix would, all the corpus would always fall off. So I found this one, it's made out of one piece of metal. So it doesn't break uh, like the other ones did. So I, I, I accepted, I was going to wear a smaller one. This is an actual metal of the scapular of Mount Carmel. So that's what I actually wear, but I do have crystals all over my home. Um, 
uh, and in my bedroom. And what I generally will have is, uh, so for astral and out-of-body travel, you want to have things around you like celestite. That's for mystical travel. And celestite is specifically for higher realm travel. Uh, celestite, fluorite, fuchsite, which is F-U-C-H-S-I-T-E. Um, uh, also uh, amethyst. I have a lot of amethyst. Um, and so I have a lot of amethyst. That's the one I have the most of. If I had a lot of money, I'd probably have a lot of celestite, but I have celestite <laughs> little pieces of it, mostly in my bedroom, which I call my launch pad, but I do have amethyst. And of course I have a piece of quartz crystal and you won't believe this. You won't believe I got this beautiful piece of quartz crystal at the Goodwill. Somebody brought that in to Goodwill. I got it for like five bucks. It's a gorgeous piece of quartz that I have in my bedroom. Um, and so I have all of those. Um, and I actually have, I'm going to show you this one little thing that I have that I just put together. It's in a little heart tray. Let me, let me go show it to you. Hang on one second. I'm going to get it. It's right over here. Uh, it has... This is my supercharge. Let me put my uh, headphones in so you can hear me. This is my little supercharge. It has um, celestite, amethyst, quartz, fluorite, uh, fuchsite, and there is a little bit of Amazonite in there, but though, that's basically what I have. And those are all the mystical travel stones. This is, it's in the shape of a heart, but I don't think you can see that, but it's a little tray that I just my little, oh, and there's a little bit of rose quartz in it too. And so I have all of the, the ones that are specifically for mystical travel. So I just kind of put them all together. There might be one or two other stones in there but it's celestite, amethyst, quartz, fuchsite, amazonite, fluorite. Um, those are the biggies. Oh, uh, what is this one called? Um, this one is this one. This one is, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Let's see what you got. Angelite, selenite. I do have some selenite as well. Rose quartz, amethyst. You got amethyst on your pillow. Uh, Adriana says, I bought celestite, angelite, and selenite stick and rose quartz. Um, I do not have angelite, so I'd, I'd have to look into that one. This one is um, also, I have a little bit of this in my little supercharged heart over here. Um, and I think it's calcite blue calcite. I think that's what it is. Um, but it's also a mystical travel one. Um, rose quartz. Uh, let's see. Um, so I'm trying to remember. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some things. But let me just clear up to Adriana. Um, don't focus too much on the stones. I mean, 
You know, I really like stones because I think they're beautiful. I had a grandfather who was a miner, and he would pull these beautiful stones out of the mines. And so I get more into the stones in part because they're beautiful. Um, but then I also got into them for their properties. And, um, and I have put some of these uh, pyramid things around my place. Um, which are intended to kind of, you know, deal with some of the, uh, you know, the uh, electronic things that you deal with here. I used to live out in the mountains and stuff. And, and so I, I actually had a vision. The Blessed Mother told me to put some of these pyramids around my uh, launch pad, the clear crystal ones. So, so I have some clear crystal ones in there and I have different ones for that reason. But remember, you want to have your crucifixes, your rosaries, you know, um, because your sacramentals are where the real power is. You know, these are these are going to be kind of like your second line of defense. You know, these are not your first line of defense. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, but I do have them. You know, I think they're pretty. I do feel that they have um, energetic properties because, you know, everything that God created has energetic properties. I feel that the uh, the uh, trees, uh, you know, I have a fruit orchard that I planted that, you know, the trees that I plant have energetic properties. Everything that God creates has energetic properties, you know, so so keep in mind, you know, again, we don't want to concretize of, you know, uh, making things either more or less than they are. Um, but going back here, some more questions here. Um, is Kundalini biblical? No, Kundalini is not biblical. In fact, um, I know that most Christians and Catholics are very against Kundalini. Um, uh, you know, that's a, that's a kind of a loaded question is, and so uh, the, the thing I would probably tell you to focus more on rather than the Kundalini would be more of just, you know, you have these energy centers in your body that we know and science has been able to prove through lots of the new, uh, the technologies that they have, that we have these energy centers and you work on keeping those open because that helps in mystical and out of body travel. The Kundalini, um, it, 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 for those who are yogic practitioners or Eastern practitioners, it's much more important to them. But I, you know, in my own practice, it's not ever been something that has been important. It's never been brought up to me as something that needed to be done or happen. Um, and so I don't think it's important. It's ironically, it's, it's kind of like what we're talking about here with the stones. It's like, they're fun. They're pretty. They do have energetic properties. I do want to have them around. I do think they serve a purpose. I even had, you know, the blessed mother came and told me to put some over here. You know, they serve a purpose, but I don't think it has, you know, uh, a greater purpose than that. Kundalini has never been shown to me to have greater purpose. And sometimes I think uh, that's where I would kind of put it as 
don't put a bunch of emphasis on it. It's not probably that important for you. Um, so no, it's not biblical. It's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. Um, it's definitely not a Christian or Catholic teaching. If it's something that you're very interested in for any reason, feel free to pop me an email. I do have some book recommendations I can give you as to the things, the books that are very highly recommended on Kundalini. Um, in fact, uh, there's a, a there's a book called The Serpent Power, which is about the unraveling coil of the energy of the Kundalini. That is probably the best one. Uh, don't misinterpret the title of the book um, in a negative way. The Kundalini is regarded as the uncoiling of this serpent. It goes back to the mystery, ancient mystery religions of the cosmic egg and the ancient serpent. And of course, it all goes back to when Moses was dealing with the serpent in the desert with the Jews. And so it's a very complicated thing. But uh, there are books if you're really interested in the Kundalini and understanding it more. But my recommendation would be if you're trying to remain biblical, don't bother with it. It's not important. And I can tell you I have 34 years of mystical experience. It's never been shown to me as being something that I needed to go into any further. I have studied a little bit about it just because I was guided to study lots of ancient texts but I was never shown that it was important to do any Kundalini awakenings or anything like that. The only things I have been shown that would be anywhere in relation to it were opening and cleansing and purifying certain chakras because I have been shown that these energy centers we have are relevant, you know, and we do have to deal with those as we're purifying and opening up. Let's see here. So Adriana says, I got a rosary and I wear a crucifix as well. That's fantastic. MT says, such great advice, Marilyn. Thank you. Thank you, MT. Thank you. You're welcome. Adriana, Christ is the focus. Absolutely. Yes. Guardian asked because it seems to be happening automatically to some with no religious background. Well, that's interesting. And, you know, hi there, Anayel. Welcome. Hello, just getting here. Oh, and we're just wrapping up. I'm so sorry, but I hope you'll have a chance to re-listen. And of course, if you have any questions you want to pop in here, um, we are wrapping up. So, um, you know, everyone's welcome to throw their questions in uh, before we wrap up. But Guardian, yes, I'm interested in what you're saying there. Um, it, it, you know, because what might be happening to them, they may be interpreting as a kundalini awakening. Um, but I'd be more interested. And in fact, please feel free to email me about it, because they may be interpreting it and calling it a kundalini awakening. And it may be something else. So um, and if it is a spontaneous kundalini awakening, then it would be interesting to go ahead and explore why they are having an actual kundalini awakening and to help them with that. Uh, because yes, that would be relevant. If someone is having a spontaneous one, then, then of course it becomes relevant because they're having it, right? So, so yes, but sometimes what often happens, and I see this a lot, people will 
identify or label something that happens uh, in one way, but when they actually explain what's happening to them, uh, they may have labeled it wrong. You know, they're, they're, they're calling it a Kundalini awakening or they're calling it uh, something else. And if they explain actually what's happening, we may be able to help them identify it better. So I would love to talk about that more, or if you want, we can talk about it via email. Either way is fine. Um, um, Aniel says, I will. Sorry, no worries. No worries at all. Happy to happy to see you. Always happy to see you, Aniel. Always a pleasure. Chris Mafuz, welcome, Chris. Happy to have you with us. Um, regarding Kundalini, there are a number of books by that name. Who is the author authors? Um, books by that name, Kundalini. Um, well, I will go hang on, bear with me. Uh, I'm going to run and grab that book I was talking about and show it to all of you. So just bear with me one second here. Okay, so this is the what I would consider the authoritative text on Kundalini Awakening. It's by Arthur, Arthur, I can't speak anymore. Arthur Avalon, Serpent Power, the Secrets of Tantric and Shaktic Yoga. It's quite, quite an amazing work on it, actually. This is the book. Um, and so I'm just going to read to you from the back here because I think it, it will give a good summarization. It might help us with the subject. Um, and let's see, we have some other thoughts here. Um, Dabudif179 says, many times people will say they have awakened their kundalini and it's just some energy in their body moving. Absolutely. Yes. Very well said. Some might have it awakened sponta spontaneously, though. Yes, because um, that's actually very much the case. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is that people can say, oh, my kundalini has awakened. And it's like, well, you're having some kind of awakening, but why are you calling it kundalini? Let's talk about what exactly are you experiencing? Because uh, we define things and then we might be misdefining them. So here... Um, uh, and this is really, uh, this is, you know, this is a very intensive, you know, religious text. It's not, um, it's not, uh, for the faint of heart. <laughs> this is very well, deeply done. So it says mythologically, uh, Kundalini is an aspect of the Shakti power or energy and consort of Shiva. Philosophically, she is the creative energy that eventually forms mind and matter and comes to rest in the lowest form of matter. She is consciousness, the power of matter to know itself. In terms of tantric practice, she is the mysterious power that resides in the human body and can be awakened through suitable techniques, special meditations, and yogic practices 
of a particularly powerful nature. She is the goddess, the ultimate heart of many areas of Eastern religion, not only of Hinduism. Uh, the present volume by the foremost uh, writer of Shaktic and Tantric thought, Arthur Avalon, is the prime document for the study and application of Kundalini Yoga. The author covers the philosophical and mythological nature of Kundalini, the esoteric anatomy associated with it, the study of mantras, the chakras or psychic centers in the human body and their progressive awakenings uh, and the yoga associated with this. The introduction, some 300 pages of unique material is followed by translations with long analytical commentary. I can vouch for that of two important tantric documents, the description of the six chakras and the briefer five-fold footstool. By working through these documents, the reader can acquire the aspect, uh, the essence of Kundalini Yoga. For centuries, this material was a closely guarded secret in India. Even native scholars were not allowed access to it. In fact, it was so restricted that many Indologists refused to recognize its existence. It took half a lifetime of searching by Sir John Woodruff to locate the key documents um, and further years to find a master able and willing to evoke from the cryptic texts a modus for study and application. The result of Woodruff's work, however, was one of the most important developments in Indian thought, a key to many areas of art and religion that had hitherto been locked. It is also a work that has great interest to Westerners who wish to acquire for themselves the validity of the ultimate experience. But again, that's from the back of the book. And I'm just going to reiterate that in my own 30, actually I said, I think I said 34, but now we're looking at really 36 years. I keep losing track of how old I am, but 36 years of experience. I have never been told in any way, in any of my experiences, that the Kundalini awakening or the experience thereof was necessary or um, important. Um, so I have had experiences with clearing out and opening chakras. Um, and I, I, you know, studied and, uh, asked about these things, the Kundalini years and years and years ago. And, and so my advice about that would be to say that it's one of those things that I don't think is probably real important to put a lot of emphasis on. It's one of those things where, yeah, it's interesting. It's cool. It's, uh, it's historically tantalizing, but probably not that important for your practice but let me see what I've missed here. Um, Chris, thank you. I just saw that you were live. Oh, well, it's great that you were able to get in. I'm impressed that you pronounced the name correctly. <laughs> thank you for that. Well, yes, I'm glad I got it right. I saw that one. Great. Okay. Adriana says, it's crazy how people are using um, dangerous psychedelics in order to have some experience. Yeah, well, that's been going on forever, you know, and um, I I don't recommend it because what I've said all along is that this is an, a natural experience. It can be induced naturally. It It's uh, something that we already do that we're becoming conscious of. We become more aware of it. So we don't have to do that. Um, and 
but yeah, people are always going to do it. And, you know, it, it has been done by tribes and native cultures uh, as part of their spiritual practices. And, and I understand why it makes sense why they would have done this, but I don't recommend it because there are so many things that can go wrong. It's not necessary. Um, having the out-of-body experience isn't necessary for someone to progress spiritually. You know, you can benefit um, uh, from just learning from other people's experiences as well. And then when you have your own, that's great. But if you don't, it's also fine. You know, I think I want to make sure I didn't miss anyone's thoughts here because I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything. Okay, it looks like Andrew said something. Let's see what he said. Well, those in purgatory who don't receive the same amount of prayers as others receive equal justice. Well, that's an interesting question. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that um, I don't know, but knowing what I know about our merciful God, I would say that our merciful God is so merciful that. Um, you know, I mean, because what, what you're saying in your question is almost like an oxymoron because, you know, even in the devotion to the divine mercy, Jesus says that he, he is asking all souls to come through the door of his mercy. And it's only when a soul refuses to come through the door of his mercy that we even have to go through the door of his justice, Right. And so there's an oxymoron in that question that, you know, are we going to receive equal justice? Well, Jesus is saying that we only go through the door of justice if we refuse to go through the door of mercy. And so my own answer to that would be based on what he says in that de de devotion, what he told St. Faustina, which would be that if we are willing to receive his mercy, I believe that we will all receive it. Those of us who are willing to receive it will receive it all in equal measure in whatever measure we require. Uh, you know, um, and I think that the parable of the workers in the field lets us all know that there will be no equal justice, but we all hope that we all will receive commensurate mercy because, you know, the story of how the workers in the field who came early in the morning received the same reward as those who came late in the day. It tells us that, no, we all, we all won't, you know, get paid according to our just desserts because those who came late got the same reward as those who came early. But we all know too that that's okay, that we all receive the same grand, beautiful reward of that beautiful heaven that we actually talked about in the first part of this live stream. Um, and that uh, some of us will have to receive more mercy than others. You know, some of us will need more mercy. Some of us might need less, but we also wouldn't wish less for our own brothers and sisters, I think. Um, 
And so going back to the same amount of prayers as others who don't receive them, we also know that Christ said in the same devotion of the divine mercy that those that we pray for who aren't able to receive our prayers, that those prayers will go to others. So we know that God receives all the prayers that we send up there. We also know, ironically, that this is almost a call. I mean, the very question that you're asking is a call to all of us who are here today to be praying for those who have no one to pray for them, right? Um, many of the visionaries and mystics have received messages asking us to pray for those in purgatory who have no one to pray for them. And this is just a reminder to include those who have no one to pray for them in our prayers more and try to remember them even more. Um, and then again, we end up in the same place we begin, which is, it's all a mystery, right? We don't know how it, how it works, but in my heart of hearts and in my experiences that I've had, I have no doubt that, um, that God knows and, and is aware of every sparrow that falls. And, and that every soul that is in need is taken care of. And in my own experiences, I have seen that the moment a soul calls out for help, even in from the deepest pit of hell, it's instantaneously help is sent and received. I mean, literally. And so this tells me that that mercy is boundless and that yes, uh, every soul that will receive God's mercy will receive it, will be given it. It will be, it will be available to. So with those thoughts, I still have to end with, you know, these are, you know, these are, mysteries in terms of how does God meet it out? I don't know. It's a mystery. But everything that I have seen has shown this great mechanism of the universal consciousness that is aware of all things, visible and invisible, all things seen and unseen and all life, not just, uh, uh, not just us, not just human life. And this brings me to something I will share with all of you in the spirit of sharing some of my re you know, recent uh, mystical experiences. I will share something that I had uh, two nights ago, which is in the spirit of re realizing the beauty and the love of God towards all of his creatures. I spent the night traveling through the spheres helping the animals. So I was being taken to assist the creatures in need. And so there was a duck and a raccoon and a bunny and a little squirrel. And there was a little duck who got into some trouble because he was laying an egg and he got stuck and he was going to drown under the water. And so I was sent in to help the little duck to come out 
of the water and he was so cute. And then I had to come in and help all the other creatures too. It was a very, it reminded me so much of St. Francis and the things that they talked about, his love of the creatures. And it was just so adorable. And of course, here comes my little love, ink. But, um, <laughs> but you know, the, this is, you know, just reminiscent of the beauty of how God is aware of all of us and not just us as humans, but all of, all of the life that he has created. Reminds me also of the experience I had in the throne room of God where I saw how millions and millions of things were being taken care of all in the same split second. Let me catch up here. Um, all right. All right. Chris says, thank you. I've been trying to get my chakras clear and open, et cetera, for years, but it takes a long time. If ever, for most people, I've been going through your self-led course on your website. Awesome. Great. I hope you enjoy it. Make sure you send me any questions you have. Um, Andrew says, God is all merciful, so that makes sense, but we should still pray for those in purgatory, right? Absolutely. We must always pray for our brothers and sisters and pray for those who have crossed over to help them in their journey. MT, uh, I do pray specifically for those whom no one has to pray for, abandoned souls, and those who never knew our Christ. It's extremely important to pray for these precious souls. Absolutely. And, you know, many of us have a special calling for those souls in purgatory or for souls who are uh, in their afterlife journey. And yes, the prayers are so important. Another mystery as to why that's so important, but they are. And so absolutely, yes, pray for those who have crossed over. So important. Um, Chris Mafuz, it was studying with you that I knew I should be praying for those in purgatory, and I'm not Catholic. Well, I'm honored by that. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you for sharing that, Chris. Um, Andrew says, thank you, Marilyn. You're very welcome. Bill Tuck. Thanks, Marilyn, for teaching me to pray for lost souls a lot of years ago. Thank you, Bill, for continuing to do so all these years. And, you know, Bill is one of our great prayer warriors. I send him all my prayer requests. And he is one of our great prayer warriors. And we have a lot of them. So, but Bill is kind of like one of our, like, uh, warrior prayer people. Whenever something is going on, I know I can send it to Bill. And so I'm very grateful for Bill. And he's just tried and true. Decades. We've been, we've been doing this for a couple, almost a couple decades. It'll be in 2023, two decades, right, Bill? That's amazing. Two decades now. Bill's been with us since the beginning, guys. 2023 will be 20 years. Awesome. We have an anniversary coming up, Bill. Tammy and Bayozi tuning in late. Happy to have made a few minutes of the live stream. I recently have been made aware of you. I'm honored. And make sure you go back and watch the whole thing. It'll process and you can watch it um, as it processes and comes live up on the site. I'm a huge animal lover and always praying for their overwhelming needs. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. 
And yeah, and they're so sweet. I love critters and I have my beautiful little critters here. Um, Chris, it is love beyond understanding. Absolutely. It is so beyond our comprehension and it's so hard to even put into words. Aniel, is there a specific prayer when someone has passed to pray? Absolutely. The chaplet of the divine mercy, going back to this divine mercy devotion. Our Lord told St. Faustina that for those for whom the chaplet of the divine mercy is prayed, that they will be able to have their sins forgiven and the temporal punishment due to sin and enter directly into heaven. And so in the Catholic faith, we will pray the rosary for them and the Holy Rosary. And all of these are available on the prayer page on the Out of Body Travel Foundation website at outofbodytravel.org. So you can find that it's under, under the same tab of the courses that you find in the course of study, um, the Unami courses and stuff, and you'll find today's liturgy and hours. And there's the Holy Rosary. And then so Catholics will pray a rosary and they will pray the chaplet of the divine mercy. And then there will be a funeral mass because the holy mass is the holiest prayer that you can offer for the dead. And one of the things that we also offer that is unique is what's called the Gregorian masses. And so when my mother passed and my father passed, I uh, would submit my name to a priest who will pray the Gregorian masses for her for an entire 30 days. And this goes all the way back to the early church. It's a tradition that was started in the early church where a priest prays the Gregorian mass every single day for 30 days straight because the Holy Mass is considered the most uh, powerful and efficacious prayer for a soul. And so you can do something like that, but you can also go to any Catholic church and you can ask to um, sign up your loved ones to have a mass offered for their intentions. So you can have a mass offered for your deceased loved ones at any time at any Catholic church. And you're only limited by, you know, which masses have already been signed up for. So you may have to wait a month or, you know, two months if they're all, you know, filled up but you can sign them up for whatever masses are open. And so you pray the Holy Rosary, the chaplet of the divine mercy, and see if you can get some Holy masses prayed for them. You can actually sign them up for the Gregorian masses online. Just look that up and you'll find there are these monks that actually uh, are in monasteries and this is what they do. And you can sign them up online. And this is, they just live in, uh, they're, they're contemplative and cloistered monks and they, uh, priests, monks, and they will do this um, exclusively. So you can definitely do that. Um, so uh, Chris says, I've been enjoying it very much. Thank you, Chris. I'm very glad you were able to join us today. Um, Aniel says, pray. Thank you, Marilyn, for teaching the litany. Oh, the litany of humility. Oh, very much. You're very welcome for that. Bill, yes. Um, 
Adriana, I have learned to pray the Our Father with you. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. And Adriana loves kitty cats. I do too. I love kitty cats. Aniel says, thank you. Well, thank all of you. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a great live stream. And for any of you who didn't get to the first one, the first uh, part of it, you know, kind of it crashed. So you can catch the first section. I don't remember how much it was, maybe 10, 15 minutes. It'll be processed by now, probably. Um, you can catch that part that you missed. But thank you so much for joining me for this live stream. Um, uh, you know, if you haven't already, please subscribe to our channel. It makes us searchable, helps people find us and our work. It keeps us free across the internet. Um, Adriana says, this was fantastic. Thank you. You are very welcome, Adriana. Um, also, consider becoming a member. You can click the join button in the upper right-hand corner. There's five different options. Membership helps us to keep things free. And keeping things free is so helpful. I talked a little bit about that in the first part of the uh, live stream. You can learn more about that. It's so important to keep things free because that places spiritual information and guidance and direction right at people's fingertips, no matter what their circumstance, no matter where they are, what's going on. And, you know, in the almost 20 years now that we've been doing this, we have been in a lot of strange circumstances. You know, we had the tsunami of 2004, where there were a lot of Indonesian people who could only access us uh, on a computer after a lot of things had been destroyed. We've had people who were in Iran and had no other access to spiritual materials. We've had people who were in Lithuania and Slovenia who um, were very, you know, lived in very uh, impoverished circumstances and would have had no other way. You know, before Amazon was able to uh, get uh, public publishing companies built on each continent, it was impossible for people because it was almost like 50 or 100 bucks for people to ship a book, you know what I mean, from uh, internationally. And then we were so excited when Amazon was able to get their publishing companies on each continent so they could have reasonable shipping to people in different countries. Um, but you have people in all these circumstances when you have people who are refugees and we have that happening now and they may have nothing but their laptop or their phone. And now their only way to have anything that connects them to anything spiritual is some kind of free connection. So these memberships help us to do that. Keeping things free is literally pivotal for the people who are either the poorest of the poor or people in circumstances that are beyond their control or any number of things. You know, when the Haitian earthquake occurred, that was a time when, uh, again, we had the only way to reach an entire population 
was by being free. You know, so you can start kind of getting the picture as I'm pointing these things out to you that remaining free is really pivotal for us because we want to be available to people when they need us. And so thank you all. Uh, thank you all our members. Thank you all our subscribers. And thank you all who just are here and pay attention to what we're doing. Um, you're making uh, you're making it possible for us to keep going. But if you're able to, consider becoming a member because that does help us to keep doing it. And you can just click the join button for that. Um, we'll see you next time. Um, for those of you who are interested, I will be doing a few tales of the mendicant preachers in just a few minutes. So you can join me. The chat option will not be on for those, but you're welcome to come on in the chat room and just hang out with me anyway. So glad to see all of you. This was great. Really enjoyed talking with all of you. Hope to see you next time. Have a great month and I will see you soon.